Hey everyone, and welcome back to Let's Talk Crime. For the first episode in the new year, I wanted to focus on an unsolved case that I'm really hoping gets solved this year. Of course, I hope that all unsolved cases eventually become solved, but there's some that just really stick out to me and make me so frustrated because I feel like the detective in me thinks they should be solved by now. And this is one of them. The murders of 14-year-old Abigail Williams and 13-year-old Liberty German, or otherwise known as the Delphi murders, make me frustrated because there's actual video of their killer and his voice, but for some reason, he's never been identified. These girls had the strength, even though I'm sure they were terrified, to take a video of this man who was more than likely their killer, and I just feel like that's gone to waste. So let's get into it. On Sunday, February 12th, two best friends, Abby and Libby, had a sleepover at Libby's grandparents' house. They had the day off from school the next day, and they were really excited. I mean, who wouldn't be over a three-day weekend? Libby's sister, Kelsey German, said the girls met through band, soccer, volleyball, and they just got along really well. Kelsey says the night before, the girls were painting and just hanging out at their sleepover. They were really into arts and photography, especially with smartphones when you could take a picture in an instant. The next day, February 13th, they decided they were going to take some pictures and go on a walk at the Monon High Bridge Trail in Delphi, Indiana. It was a really nice day out, especially for February, and they were going to take advantage of the weather and spend their day outside. Libby asked her grandma if it was okay, and she said yes, as long as they had a ride. Libby asked her sister to bring her and her dad to pick them up. They both agreed, and the girls were just going to spend their day adventuring through the woods, taking pictures, and uploading them to their social media. This was something my best friend and I did all the time throughout middle school, too. And that's just another thing that really gets me on this case. The bridge was a formal railroad, and my friends and I used to walk the tracks, go through the woods, take pictures, and edit them with these random captions from song lyrics to Facebook. You know, those times. Delphi was also a really small town. Kelsey says her class was about 96 people total, and I had less than that, so I don't know. I just, I really connect with these girls. This could have easily been me or one of my friends. Kelsey dropped the girls off at the trailhead around 1.30, and they were supposed to be picked up by 3.15 by Libby's dad. Kelsey says, quote, They got out of my car. I made sure they both had sweatshirts and told them goodbye. I told Libby I loved her. They walked out, and that was the last time I saw them, unquote. Kelsey now tells HLN that she regrets taking the girls to the trails, wishing she could have just said no when they asked for a ride. Around 2 p.m., Libby uploaded a picture on Snapchat of Abby walking on the bridge. Although this was dangerous and also illegal to do because the bridge had many gaps in the wooden planks and it was pretty unstable, many people still do it, and honestly, I probably would have too at their age. 
But by 3 p.m., Libby's dad, Derek, called to let Libby know that he would be there soon, but Libby wasn't answering her phone. After a few phone calls with no answer, Derek called his mom, Libby's grandmother, Becky Patty, to call Libby, and he was going to start walking to find the girls. By 4 p.m., still no sign of the girls, the family started to search the trail. At this point, they were thinking maybe they got lost on the trail and couldn't find their way back, but by 5 p.m., as it starts to get dark, missing persons reports were filed for Abby and Libby. Kelsey had the Snapchat that Libby posted of Abby on the bridge and the bridge itself, so they shared that with the police department. That was the last known picture of the girls at that time, so at least investigators knew to look around this area. Police started to search the area, and as soon as the community heard two of their own were missing, volunteer searchers came out too. But with no luck, the police called off the search around midnight, saying it was getting too dangerous to search the rugged trail at this time of night. They said there was no sign of foul play, and I think they just assumed that the girls ran away or were just lost. Even then, search and rescue should have been brought in, in my opinion. I mean, the bridge they were on was, again, unstable, and they could have easily fell off or fell through one of the boards and could have been in critical condition. Either way, police said they would start first thing in the morning with more equipment and better conditions and they made good on their promise. Indiana State Police requested a helicopter, dogs, and divers, and they arrived the next day, February 14th. By 10 a.m., search parties grew even larger than the night before as people shared the two girls were missing on social media. A volunteer station was placed at the firehouse where volunteers can come sign up and join search parties to go to specific locations on the trail with their main focus nearby the bridge. It seemed very organized, and I think this volunteer station was really important. One thing to note is people involved in crimes like murder often try to insert themselves in an investigation, and it's very possible the murderer was in these search parties. But it's also possible that they didn't sign up or even use their real name at the volunteer station. As Kelsey was part of a search party near the bridge, she heard someone yell out that they found a shoe around noon. She knew exactly what the girls were wearing, saw a black Nike sneaker held up, and knew it belonged to Libby. She says 30 seconds later, someone yelled out that they found the girls. At first, hopes were high that the girls were found alive, until the searchers who found Abby and Libby told the family they were not. At this moment, the search was called off and everyone was sent home. Libby's grandfather, Mike Patty, was told by a member of the search party that found Abby and Libby, quote, something horrible had happened, unquote. By 1.50 p.m., Indiana State Police released that two bodies were found about half a mile from the bridge that they were investigating it as a crime scene and that they suspect foul play. But they did not confirm what everyone knew, that the bodies belonged to Abby and Libby just yet. Before we continue to talk about the deaths and the investigation, 
I want to talk about Abby and Libby for just a moment. They had their lives ripped away from them, and they have a bigger story to be told than just their deaths. They were only in the eighth grade. They didn't even make it to high school. In fact, if they were still alive, they would be seniors this year. They weren't able to go to prom or get married or go to college. It was just devastating. Abby's mother, Anna, says that after her death, so many people told her Abby would stick up for the underdog, for the people who were bullied. She says, quote, My girl had a good character to her. She would have done big things, unquote. Her obituary is online, and a friend commented, quote, Abby, I love you so much. I miss you, and I will be sad till the day I see you again. You were one of my best friends, and I wish this never happened. Fly high, baby girl. Unquote. Libby was also very much loved. Her mom, Carrie Timmons, said Libby was wise beyond her years, and that Libby would say, quote, Sometimes when I'm in my room, I think about what it would be like when I'm older. Unquote. To this day, she honors Libby with an orange light by the front door and blaring Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses. Libby was also brave, and even police acknowledged this, calling her a hero. Libby was the one to take the video of her potential killer, and she could be the one to solve her and her best friend's case. This was such a small town, and to not only see one of your peers no longer alive, but two, that was devastating to their classmates. These were kids in middle school, and that is just so much to process. The school offered counselors and support to the students who may have been suffering from this tragedy, but I don't think anyone's really healed. Delphi will never be the same. So let's return to the investigation. As of February 14th, all we know is that two bodies were found. But the following day, they finally released that the bodies did in fact belong to Abby and Libby, and they also stated that they were treating this as a double homicide investigation. Obviously, this caused massive panic in the community. A murderer could have been walking amongst them. This was no accident. These girls didn't just get lost. The FBI got involved and started talking to the people closest to Abby and Libby to get a look inside their lives. They talked to one of their friends, Erica Gibson, who screenshotted the last picture Libby posted, which was a picture of Abby walking on the bridge. Then, the shocker. Eventually, they were able to gain access to Libby's Snapchat account, finding a video of a man on the bridge with the girls. He is now more well-known as Bridge Guy or BG. On February 16th, they finally released an image from this video to the public saying that they only wanted to talk to this person to ask some questions, but as most of us probably know, this isn't what they were really thinking. Three days later, they claim this man is now their prime suspect. So now, not only is a killer on loose, but a killer who did this in broad daylight. And not only that, but one of these girls had to watch their best friend die. And who knows, maybe there could have been more than one attacker that Libby didn't get on camera. 
How does one person subdue two teenage girls and two athletic girls at that? On February 22nd, Indiana State Police hosted another press conference releasing a partial clip of audio from the video Libby took of this man saying to the girls, quote, down the hill, unquote. But we are going to share this audio clip with you momentarily with the hope that somebody will recognize this voice. And I want to be very clear that what you're about to hear is just four short words. Excuse me, three words, down the hill. You're going to hear this played four times. The audio quality is not superb, but there's enough there that somebody could recognize this person's voice. And as Superintendent Carter said, not to rationalize away. If you hear this today and you think, my God, that sounds like fill in the blank, call us, make an anonymous tip. Tell us who you think it is. Let us investigate it. If it's not the right person, they'll just be out a little bit of time and they'll be cleared and they can go on and they'll never know that you called. But you may tell us who the right person was and you could be the person that helps us to solve this horrible crime. Micah, play the clip, please. Could you play it one more time? As you can hear, you can barely recognize what this person was saying, and they played it four times. It just sounded muffled, and Nancy Grace actually thought maybe Libby had her phone in her pocket, which is why it sounded so distorted. Investigators opened the floor to any questions, and like I said, the community was highly concerned that there was a killer or killers living amongst them and the police did not ease these concerns. Specific to your question, Raphael, uh, keep in mind that there is uh, the likeliness of the possibility of, of more than one person. Uh, we're, we're not saying that the person, that the voice that you heard is the same as this person here. This is all very complicated, very involved, and as much as we would like to tell you everything, more importantly, we want to solve the crime. Uh, but again, rest assured, we're, we're using our resources to put the person and or persons that murdered Liberty German and Abigail Williams into our jail here in Carroll County. But the fact that they had an image and audio of the killer caused massive media coverage. I feel like this is such a strange case because it seems like there's such a high chance of solving this based on this picture, based on the audio, and based on the video that was released years later. I mean, what are the odds that, despite this massive media coverage, that no one has identified this person? And people tried to identify the person, and thousands of tips started pouring in the first week of the crime. But where do you even start? Within the first 24 hours, police had over 900 tips. On the same day the bodies were found, police already executed their first search warrant. 
The girls were technically found on someone else's property belonging to a man named Ronald Logan, who was considered to be a habitual offender in the eyes of the law. But I think this had more to do with alcohol and driving than other offenses with violence. He has been cleared as a suspect, which I think is pretty accurate. Who would put two dead bodies on your property and he also really doesn't look like the image Libby took. The family was also looked into, especially Kelsey, Libby's sister. She was the one who dropped the girls off, and she was the last person known to be with them. She says she was heavily interrogated in the beginning, enough to make it apparent they were looking into her, but she now knows they were just doing their job. She has given DNA samples three times, which makes me believe the police have DNA evidence. They just aren't able to match it with any database yet. Many people suspect this is not the first time this person or persons have killed. To commit a double homicide, it is highly unlikely this is the first crime this person has committed. Rumors were also circulating from members of the search party that the scene was incredibly gruesome and we'll get more into that later. This is something we still don't know to this day, what the scene was like and what their cause of death was. Many of these rumors claim that Libby got the worst of the attack, making it seem as she may have been the target. Police have kept that to themselves, which I don't think is a bad idea. I'm sure there are crucial pieces of the autopsy that are important to finally find the suspect and put them where they belong. In July of 2017, a composite sketch was released to the public to provide a clear image of the man they believe is the killer. Eyewitnesses worked with police to create this sketch, but it's now become a very controversial topic of this case. In April of 2019, a new composite sketch was released that looked completely different than the original. The original made the man appear to be scruffy looking, older, more heavy set, and it just wasn't the same person, not even close. The new sketch released looked like this clean cut man, very young and with curly hair. The police claim he was anywhere between 18 to 40 years old but not to let his young appearance fool you, that he is probably older than he looks. They also released another bombshell, the video we now look at today. Before, all we had was an image and audio of a man saying, down the hill, in one composite sketch. Now we have two composite sketches and a video with extended audio that says, quote, guys, down the hill, unquote. Here's what we know from this two-second video. We know he was on the bridge. Police have also confirmed this is the voice of the bridge guy telling the girls to go down the hill, and we know he's looking down, which is why the composite sketches are so important. But it also appears that this man is limping. Now, he could be limping because he's walking on an unstable bridge, 
or he could be limping from an injury. We don't know. But even this clip is still not the full video found on Libby's phone. It is also my opinion, I think the first sketch looks more like the guy in the video than the second one. It also appeared the police had basically disregarded the sketch, calling it secondary, and the public was outraged that they had been looking for the wrong person for over two years. But that may not be true. Anna Williams, Abby's mother, told Jason Herbert, another YouTuber who interviews victims' families, that she believes the sketch was not meant to be the same person, but two different people. It seems that she's saying law enforcement knows who the person is in the first sketch, and they want to know who the second person is. Where did the information for the second police sketch come from? Is there more than one suspect? My condolences to you. I pray this case is solved. Um, Shannon, the, the basic answer that we have is what we were told um, when we were brought in to see the second sketches. We've run this first sketch. We feel like we know who this person might be or we've cleared up this particular person. And now we're going to look at another person that other people also notice might have been there that day. And now we'd like to talk to that person. Um, if you were in a bank or in a gas station, it was robbed. The 10 people in there with you were all going to see something different. None of us see the same thing in a situation. Happens a lot. So there are a lot of sketches that were put together. And then at the end of the day, this one was the number one that most people felt comfortable with. And then the second one was the one that everybody else also thought could closely resemble or was another person. So they ran through everything they could up until, I'm going to say, mid April of 2019, I believe, is when that sketch came out. We had the second big press release of the sketch, and we'd already had the audio and video at that time of the different things available, and that was when this sketch came forward, and um, at that time, they said, we're changing directions, and now we want to see who else may have seen this person, because we've talked to everybody else concerning the first person. And uh, it was very confusing, and it was like, wait, we put all this faith into this first sketch for all this time. This is who we thought we were looking for, and now we've changed our minds, and they're like, no, we just want to know who else was out there that day and go over this. So not a complete dismissal, but a change in directions. Law enforcement has instructed the public not to put these sketches side by side, meaning compare the sketch in another person's photo to a person who you believe looked like the sketch. They say the sketch is for individuals who know the person, not for strangers on the internet to compare. Police have also instructed if you are going to do a side-by-side -side and you see similarities and decide to report a tip, you should start your tip with, in my opinion. Many Facebook groups have also instructed their members not to compare images of others and the sketches as a rule in their group. This is because they don't want anyone to accuse someone who is not involved, which has happened many times, ends up wasting time and resources, and can literally ruin someone's life. Even the sergeant of the Indiana State Police has been brought up in a tip, and they had to investigate one of their own. Family members have also been brought up, resulting in hurt and anger, and again, use of resources that should be allocated somewhere else. 
Even random people were accusing their exes, their enemies, and people they just don't like. And the police have to investigate this. They have to. These tips have resulted in frustration for not only law enforcement, but also for the families of Abby and Libby. Indiana State Police has also given advice on what a good tip is for them. They would like a suspect name, date of birth or age, physical description, address or location, vehicle information, specific reason for the tip, motivation for the crime, and or their connection to Delphi. Their main focus is the man's name and their connection to Delphi. They are not trying to discourage tips from coming in, but they are trying to help steer the public to provide information that can actually help solve the case. Other rumors have also started that there were other videos or the full video of the man saying down the hill where Libby and Abby are talking about a man following them. We know there is more to the video than just this man saying guys down the hill. If this video of Abby and Libby does exist, which I believe it does based on Detective Kim Riley, who saw the full video telling the podcast called Down the Hill that it was scary to watch, knowing that the girls knew what was coming. Other reports have claimed that some family members have listened to a larger portion of the video than the portion that was released to the public, but someone may have leaked what this conversation really was. A YouTuber named Zavgirl has intensely covered this rumor in her video titled, Text Messages from the Guy That Found Abby and Libby, What Do You All Think? She reports that supposedly Abby asked Libby if the creepy guy was still following them, and Libby says, mm-hmm. In a panic, there was also alleged audio that the girl said, there's nowhere else to go, meaning they've come to the end of the bridge. They would either have to turn around and go near the creepy man or stay where they were as the man approached them. Then, allegedly, they hear the man saying, guys, down the hill, and then a gun cocked, making it appear that this man was threatening the girls to follow his instructions. Again, I want to say this is just a rumor, but it could make sense as to why the man's hands were in his pocket in the video police have released. This could also explain how he was able to control both girls at once. If this is true, police would have had to cut the end of this clip off to protect the integrity of the investigation. Anna Williams also answered the public's questions about the video itself because it appears there are two clips used. One clip is the man saying, guys, and the other is him saying, down the hill. From my understanding, she says there were two clips used. And after he said guys, the girls responded in a way that was like, excuse me, or what do you want? She says the police didn't feel it necessary to include the girls' voices. I totally understand that this is part of keeping the investigation very hush-hush on what they know because people make false confessions all the time. 
and if they know a gun was used to force the girls to follow his instructions, that's a really important part of the case. Even if this man possibly told someone else about what they did, and this person tells the police that they used a gun to control the girls, it makes their story more credible. Another thing that has been very closed off to the public is the manner and cause of death of Abby and Libby. And of course there's rumors, and I want to say that right now. They are rumors. But there are leaked Facebook messages between someone and David Erickson, who was Abby's uncle, as well as the person who found the girls' bodies. He claimed Abby was on the ground with her hands folded, wearing the same clothes as she was on the bridge, and that she was stabbed in the heart and neck. He also claimed that Libby was nude, but there was no sign of sexual assault. David says he believes the only DNA would have been from Libby's fingernails and that she fought back. People have claimed that Libby got the worst of it, that her head was an inch away from being taken off. People have contemplated if this is true or not because the girls did have an open casket, but someone on WebSleuths actually contacted a funeral director who spoke about basically reconstructing very violent deaths and still doing an open casket. There are also rumors that both girls wore scarves at their funeral. I do believe there is DNA evidence in this case, otherwise they wouldn't have been taking DNA swabs from family members like Kelsey. David Erickson is also saying the murders were completed by 3.30 that evening, so if this is true, it's possible Libby's father was there at the time her daughter was being killed. Again, the autopsy has never been released to the public, and many family members have said they have not seen the autopsy, but David Erickson is claiming that is not true. But something that leads a lot of people to believe Erickson is the interview with Anna Williams, who is Erickson's sister, who does not dispute the claims her brother made. Law enforcement has also not confirmed or disputed these leaked messages. But what law enforcement and officials have given the public is that there were possibly up to three signatures left at the scene. Okay, so what's a signature? Anything left at the crime scene, whether it's a note or the way the bodies are placed, anything that stands out as unusual or disturbed could be a signature. I wonder if Abby's hands were folded, if that was a signature, or if Libby's body was covered in leaves as Erickson tells in the leaked messages, is also a signature. In my opinion, if these two signatures were left, it could show remorse. Covering up a body, placing their hands in an innocent way with them folded, or placing the bodies together could show signs of remorse or guilt. Former Indiana prosecutor Robert Ives also tells the podcast, Down the Hill, that there was more physical evidence than a typical crime scene. Based on this physical evidence, he actually thought they'd solve the crime within two to three days. As we all know, that's not true. But why would a killer or killers do this? What was the motive here? Again, that's something we don't know and I don't think law enforcement does either. 
Law enforcement has stated there was no evidence of the girls planning to meet up with someone they met on the internet, so that debunks that theory. I also think if the video of the girls talking about a man following them exists would support this statement. If they knew who was behind them, they probably would have said their name in the video. A theory that was brought up on True Crime Garage was maybe Bridge Guy was trying to lure the girls to his car. Maybe this was just supposed to be an abduction. It could have even been a trafficker. But the fact that Libby's shoe was found and the bodies were found in an area where you would have had to cross the creek sounds like maybe the girls were trying to run away. If you've ever walked in water with shoes on, it's very easy for them to slip off and even easier if you were running. There are many simulations and reenactments of their walk on the bridge on YouTube, being approached by the man, and how they may have gone down the hill. In these simulations, it seems that the act of going down the hill was most likely the area of when the girls made a run for it. They were probably more athletic than Bridge Guy, and maybe he lost his footing and fell. This theory also supports the fact that maybe Libby was killed in a very brutal way because she could have been the one to instruct Abby to start running. Maybe they were the ones who ran into the creek, their attacker ran after them only in an attempt to abduct them, but killed them in a rage. I do believe they were killed with a knife because there were other hikers on the trail, and I think a gun could have alerted those hikers to what was happening. There were also people who claimed to see Bridge Guy, which is how they got those composite sketches. But I've seen rumors saying that he was not wearing the blue jacket that is in the video, meaning if this was true, he was wearing multiple layers in case something like this did happen and he did get blood on his clothes. Remember, this was a warm day in Indiana. The girls tried to leave Kelsey's car without sweatshirts, and Kelsey made sure they both had sweatshirts in case they got cold. In the video of Bridge Guy, it appears he's wearing a brown sweatshirt underneath the blue jacket, maybe in an effort to conceal the fact that he was involved in a crime with blood. But who could Bridge Guy be? As far as suspects go, there's many guesses and speculations but no definitive person of interest, at least not one we know of. The fact that Bridge Guy was able to lure two athletic girls, even though there were other people on the trail that day, shows the killer is organized. It's obvious in the photo that Libby took of both the bridge and Abby walking on the bridge, he is not there yet, so either the girls were taking their time to get to the other side, or... He approached them on the bridge very fast. Police have also claimed that they believe the killer is familiar with the Delphi area and has been hiding in plain sight. The high bridge was not a tourist attraction and the fact that they were taken off the trail into a secluded area does suggest this person was familiar with the Delphi area. The most recent speculation is that bridge guy is Barry Morphew. Yes, the husband of Suzanne Morphew, who has been missing since Mother's Day in 2020. 
Barry, Suzanne, and their two daughters moved from Indiana to Colorado in the spring of 2018, about a year after the murders of Abby and Libby. He did live in Alexandria, Indiana, which was about an hour and a half drive from Delphi, but I don't know of any other connections between him and Delphi. But the picture of the first sketch and pictures of Barry are very similar. And I know law enforcement says not to do side-by-side sketches or side-by-side analysis, but it's pretty uncanny. A YouTuber by the name of Sarah Saving Spirits has also compared the voices of Barry and Bridge Guy. So here's that clip. No questions asked. However much they want, I will do whatever it takes to get you back. This is just speculation, especially with the recent high-profile disappearance of his wife, Suzanne, whom many believe Barry killed. But who else was looked into right from the beginning that some believe may still be the potential killer? The first person of interest was Ron Logan, who we've already spoken briefly about. The girls were found on the back edge of his property where the Canal Park, which contains the Monon High Bridge, and Ron Logan's property meet. Ron Logan also has a past criminal record, mostly involving driving and alcohol. His property, home, and truck were all searched by police the day the girls were found. But when police spoke with him, asking where he was the afternoon of February 13th, he told them that he was at the town dump and in Lafayette, about 15 miles away, helping out a friend. The only problem with his alibi was how he got to these places. Ron Logan was not supposed to be driving or drinking, and he admitted to both. So he was arrested in April of 2017, leading the public to believe he was guilty more than just violating his parole. Anna Williams has spoken out about the accusations made against Ron, saying that she's known him for years, even prior to the murders, and she believes he would never do such a thing. She says it was a terrible coincidence that the girls were found on his property. Another high-profile suspect was a man named Daniel Nations. He was arrested in April of 2017 in the Colorado Springs area for threatening trail hikers with a hatchet. He was also suspected of shooting and killing a biker in the area as well. Colorado authorities alerted Indiana State Police after finding Daniel Nations had a warrant out for his arrest in Indiana for failing to register as a sex offender. They also released that there may have been similarities between the murders of Abby and Libby and Nation's actions on the trails in Colorado. He also moved from Indiana to Colorado in May of 2017, leading investigators and the public to believe maybe he was fleeing the state in fear of being connected to the crime. When Nation's was arrested for felony possession of a firearm, menacing, and assault, His mugshot was released, causing even more public scrutiny against nations. He looked pretty similar to the composite sketch with a broad face, hooded eyes, a goatee, 
and reddish-brown hair. But his wife has stated that on the day of the killings, February 13, 2017, she had a doctor's appointment. Police have confirmed that this is true, but she could not recall if Daniel was with her. Either way, they only had one car that she was using, so it would have been very unlikely if Daniel was not with her that he could have gone to the trails. At the time, he was working an hour away from Delphi, so he would have had to borrow someone else's car, which no one has come forward to claim he did. After his release from Colorado prison, Daniel spoke with the Gazette newspaper, denying any involvement with the Delphi murders, claiming he cooperated with the police in their investigation and gave DNA samples. He has also said that the public scrutiny has done a lot of damage in his life and that he is not the man the public is making him out to be. Police have stated they feel comfortable he is not involved in the murders. Another suspect in the eyes of the public is a man named Paul Etter. In June of 2019, he abducted a woman from her car and sexually assaulted her for five hours at his family farm before letting her go. As soon as she returned safely, she reported the attack to police, who eventually connected Etter. He went on the run for five days in the woods until police found him. In a standoff, he shot himself, but not before he made a public apology on social media, saying he was sorry for the attack, claiming he was drunk when it happened. The reason people suspect Etter of the crime is because he lived in Lafayette, only 15 minutes away from Delphi. He has committed violent attacks before, and he was known to wear an IUD, a form of birth control, around his neck like a necklace, claiming it as a trophy. His family also says that he was a violent person and he was a very outdoorsy kind of guy, which was true if he was able to hide in the woods for five days evading police. His proximity to the crime, along with his violent past, as well as the fact that police can never talk with Edder to deny or confess to the murders of Abby and Libby, leads to suspicion. But many others believe he is not involved based on that social media post apologizing about the attack, claiming if he knew he was going to kill himself, he probably would have revealed his involvement then. He also looks nothing like the sketch or the video, in my opinion, being bald for many years, according to family and friends. There is also another theory that the killer is a truck driver. The trail is just off a highway, and the truck itself could have been parked anywhere without causing any suspicion. In a Facebook group, a man suggested he believes his brother, a former truck driver, committed the murders. He was from the Delphi area, according to the brother, but is now in prison. He claims his brother looked very similar to the image of Bridge Guy, but he gained weight after. His brother also had knee surgery, causing a limp that many people believe the killer has. According to the brother, he has submitted a tip and Carroll County and the FBI are investigating it. However, Anna Williams has spoken out against the brother the one who submitted the tip. She claims he sent the tip because he is in the process of being charged with embezzlement and is doing this to reduce his sentence. 
One more theory comes from Reddit with the username PlattyFwap claiming possible re- resemblance between the abduction and murder of Abby and Libby and another unsolved murder in Iowa, Lyric Cook and Elizabeth Collins. Cousins 10-year-old Lyric and 8-year-old Elizabeth were taking a bike ride in their neighborhood of Evansdale, Iowa on July 13, 2012. That same night, local searchers found the girls' bikes on a trail near Myers Lake, a popular fishing spot. Immediate panic set in, leading authorities to believe the girls were in danger and probably abducted. Five months later, Lyric and Elizabeth's body were found in a secluded, wooded area at the Seven Bridges Wildlife Park, leading investigators to believe their killer knew the area well. The FBI released a profile regarding the killer believing the suspect used threat of violence to coerce the girls to follow his instructions during the abduction. So we have three things connecting the cases so far. A double homicide of two girls, abduction on a trail, and speculation that the killer used threats of violence to force the girls to follow their instructions. But there's one thing that really stands out to me, and that's the number 13. Both sets of girls were abducted and probably killed on the 13th. Abby and Libby were killed on February 13th, and Lyric and Elizabeth were believed to be killed on July 13th. It is possible the killer believes something evil in the number 13 and acts on those days, or maybe something tragic happened on the 13th in this person's life of any given month that triggers them to act. It is also strange that both abductions took place near popular fishing sites, such as Deer Creek running under the bridge in Delphi and Myers Lake in Iowa. Maybe the killer is an avid fisherman who has lived in both states. I am going to discuss some psychic theories, so if that's not your cup of tea, you don't have to stick around. This is the last part I'm going to talk about before we end today's episode. If you're into psychics, you've probably heard of Aphrodite on YouTube or Twitch who has covered this case. He claims the killer lives a double life, which makes me think people may suspect him based on physical appearance, but they couldn't imagine he would do something like this. We all have those friends who would never even hurt a fly. But what if you saw a picture of one of these friends that kind of resembles them involved in a crime like this? but you couldn't believe they would do such a thing, so you never contact police. I kind of wonder if that's the reason why the crime is still unsolved. He also talks about that the killer may be feeling some kind of revenge pointing towards the girls. I think he misinterprets the reading as the girls knowing their killer, and that's the cause for the revenge, but I'm leaning more towards the fact that maybe he was bullied in high school especially if he does have a limp, as many people speculate, or it could even be about looks or anything like that, where people were often bullied. I have seen reports that there was a single woman on the trail that would obviously be an easier target than two teenage girls. So maybe that's his motive. Maybe he has something against teenage girls. 
The reason I'm bringing his reading up specifically is because he pointed out a lot of things that I believe are true. For example, he was talking about misdirection and possible evidence being tampered with. Technically, this is true because there were so many searchers out there that morning and people were spitting on the ground, urinating near the crime scene, and basically every search's DNA is probably out there. Investigators actually talked about the complications with the crime scene and searchers' DNA in the Down the Hill podcast. Aphrodite also mentions the fact that the girls went where he told them, not willingly, but they weren't physically forced to either, which I believe did happen. I think the killer had a gun, and that was the way he forced the girls down the hill. He also says that the girls were in a trap, which again, I think is on the full video law enforcement has, because of the reenactments of the scene at the bridge show there's really not a way out when you get to the end of the bridge without turning around or going down this really steep hill that leads towards the creek. Why were they willingly listening to him? So this means that he got them to go where they didn't want to go? How did he get them to go where he wanted them to go without forcing them? Like, technically he forced them, but he didn't, like, force them physically. This would be like a trap. I also wonder if this is a human trafficking gone wrong, I guess I could say, and that he was trying to lure the girls for these purposes. Again, Aphrodite talks about the crime going in a different direction than the killer thought it was going to. There was no school that day, a perfect day for traffickers to get a hold of their victims. So that's it for this case. If you have any information, please send tips to Abby and Libby Tip at CarrollCountySheriff.com. I will leave that information in the description. As of now, the families are working on a memorial on the trail and creating a recreation center in Abby and Libby's name because of their love of sports. Like I said, I have high hopes this case will be solved, and I'm really hoping that it's this year. I think it's only a matter of time before someone comes forward saying this man confessed to the crime. Or they could have that urge to kill again, and now most prisons take your DNA to be matched for crimes like this in the CODIS index. I truly hope that they confess to someone or they confess to the police before a crime like this happens again. We don't know if there was DNA found at the scene, but I think it's more than likely if they happen to go to prison for another crime. Let me know if you have any theories. The best way to reach out is on the Let's Talk Crime podcast Facebook page that I will link down below. One of my favorite things to do is talk about these cases with other people and get their input. So leave a comment or go on the Facebook page and let's have a discussion. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk Crime and I'll see you next time.